0: It's
1: so much fun. Hey, everybody, and welcome into Show Notes. It's me, Max. I'm here with 99.
0: Hi. What's
1: going on, 99?
0: Not much. Just, uh, you know,
1: chilling. You saw some music over the weekend.
0: I did, I did. Was it quality? Yes, always. Always? Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So food, friends, music, Some libations. Of course. You checked all the boxes. Yeah. I love it. And what did you do? (laughs) It's not important. No? But I wasn't doing anything that I would like to be doing.
0: Maybe you should change that.
1: Can't just yet. Okay. Can't just yet. But I was in the armpit of America. I'll leave that just open. But it's in New Jersey. (laughs)
0: Hoboken. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, God. Hoboken would be like Venice compared to where I was. Just awful. Anyway. All right. We are in show notes talking about episode two of our three-part series on James Earl Carter. And, of course, there's news. There is an update on President Carter.
0: Max assaulted him and made sure that he would die while we were doing this series.
1: Can you suggest a better way to have a trending topic? I'm all ears if that's the case. I mean, let me know.
0: Quality content. Other than that? No.
1: No? Well, then you get what you get, right? You get what you get. So I told you last time I was pretty emotionally invested in the Carter story for so many reasons that I'll let loose on in the bring it home section of part three. Just talking about the man, the times.
0: The myth, the, the legend. Myth, the
1: legend. What was possible? What came to fruition and went sideways after what could have come to fruition with a second term, maybe. There's a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas in there. But also, there's... there's. I'm going to try to be, you know, really reasonable about this and, and suggest that as much as I do believe that coming into his term he was the right man for the times, that there were certain parts of his economic philosophy, certainly, domestic economic agenda that were not fitting to the times and would not have played out really well even in a second term or long term for that matter so there's some there's some good meat on the bone part three is really the decline so it's a little bit more depressing Uh, and what makes me sort of circumspect about putting this out now is it's going to sound kind of like if you just like launch into part three it's going to sound like i'm kind of shitting all over president carter which is not going to be my intention but when i tell you that everything that could go wrong really went wrong in a very very abbreviated time period it's really true. So it's going to be kind of a downer, but I think also really instructive because the, now we're getting into the period that people really remember. Yeah, this is the heartache that people remember with the gas lines and the hostage crisis in particular. But there's a couple of other things that happened that set us up for some pretty interesting long-term success. And I think what makes me really sad about uh, not having a second term is that had he been able to guide these other initiatives to fruition, to set them up and really, really entrench them in our system that we would have been in much better shape. Instead, he sort of loosened the cap for Reagan, who came in and just took little pieces of it that would benefit just a handful of people in the country and, uh, and threw the rest away, which is really, really shameful because we all kind of know what happened after that. So anyway, President Carter has declined uh, additional care. So he is in hospice care, I believe, at his home with his faithful Rosalind by his side. And I did, I saw something and I can't confirm this because I actually don't recall reading this in his biography, but I saw something online today that says uh, Jimmy Carter's literally known Rosalind Carter his entire life because his mother was her mother's midwife. And so his mother actually helped bring Rosalind Carter into the world cause she's three years younger. And he was like in the hospital waiting room Weird. at the other time. Isn't that kind of neat? There was only like seventeen people in Plains, Georgia, so it, it kind of tracks that that might be the case. But if nothing else, it is a love story for the ages. I mean, truly.
0: They have kids. Yeah. Oh. Um. We haven't gotten there.
1: Yeah, I don't really cover the kids much. They weren't a big part of the White House years because you know the White House years were were so were so short, and he was he was still pretty young. But they had, I believe, they have four.
0: Wow. Hmm. Maybe there's a chance for me. To what? Marry one of Jimmy Carter's children.
1: Um, I think they're, I think they're like my age. And? I'm kind of creepy and old compared to where you're at in your life, and I think you can maybe do better.
0: I'm looking for a sugar daddy.
1: Oh, sugar daddy. I don't know that the Carters are going to be the sugar daddy you're looking for. They
0: have to have, you know, that, that great presidential <laughs> salary money. Come on. Sure. <laughs> Four years of that?
1: You know he left the White House broke?
0: It doesn't surprise and me. And near bankrupt. Oh.
1: Yeah. And we'll cover that briefly. But uh, the business had really been run into the ground while he was in the White House in a very short period. He'd left a thriving peanut farm, was pretty much driven into the ground. And there were some extenuating no circumstances. Intended. But uh, yes, yeah, it never came out of the ground, I guess. There were some extenuating circumstances behind it. But when they returned back to their very modest home where they remained and had been, uh, the business was uh, practically bankrupt. So his memoirs, mm -hmm, there's that word, and her memoirs got them out of debt and Hmm. uh, foiled bankruptcy. And then they were able to reinvest it. And then he kind of brought everything back after that, but truly put his entire life on hold for the country. Just one of those other just incredible facts about this person, because that's just not what presidents did or do for that matter most of them left very wealthy
0: i was gonna say me and jimmy carter have something in common both broke
1: yeah both broke but not both in hospice so thankfully
0: i didn't say that well geez my god
1: i was just going to the extreme okay that's usually
0: my job you're right
1: you're (laughs) right well that's that's the that's the frame of mind i'm in right now which you already know okay i'm gonna introduce something very lightly here And then we're going to be building on it in the coming weeks. I told you show notes is going to be a little bit more, not more expansive, but we're going to be incorporating a couple of trending topics into it because, you know, we're not a breaking news show and there's some incredible journalism going on. We told you in the beginning of the year, which media outlets that we really trusted. And so I want to kind of build on that throughout the year and begin to share with you what we're reading and what's important to us and how we're. Synthesizing information, kind of as it happens, and you'll probably see that some of these things begin to, you know, become building blocks for us as we build content out. So, two stories that I want to make sure I'm, I'm, like, positive that unfuckers are all over these stories, but I want to go back to the roots of the stories, of the people that I believe are doing the best of it. In one case, who's doing the best with it, in the other case, truly the root of the story. The first is what's happening in Palestine, Ohio, right on the border of Pennsylvania with the train derailment and all of the toxic fumes that have been released because of that derailment. Now, experts say that it could have been prevented, but multiple administrations now have allowed these rail companies to forego innovative new braking systems that would have prevented this disaster and potentially many others. The the number of derailments is kind of mind-blowing when when you think about it. And the amount of freight and cargo that we have traveling by rail still to this day is a good thing. I just want to say that, like, we want that. We don't want more diesel trucks on the road and we don't want to build out more of that type of infrastructure. We actually want to be building on the rail infrastructure. But the bottom line is these administrations, particularly when the Trump administration took uh, a requirement for these companies to upgrade their braking systems to the, they're using a braking system that is apparently more than 100 years old or it, in some cases it's a civil war era technology doesn't mean they're using brakes from the civil war but they have not changed the technology since that time there are better more innovative solutions that would prevent a lot of what we've seen the criticism for the biden administration falls once again squarely on Buttigieg, who is just not, maybe has not up until this point been putting his best foot forward in terms of kind of clamping down on the rail industry. So now you've got the rail workers, you know, getting screwed over by the Biden administration invoking a hundred-year-old rule. And then you've got now the Department of Transportation continuing to look the other way when they should be punishing the railways. That's all beginning to change because of the work that's being done over at Lever. This is David Sirota's outlet, and I, I think I told everybody when he first launched the newsletter on Substack that I became an early subscriber because I think Sirota has done some incredible work. So I followed him for a few years. I hopped on board with a paid subscription to The Lever early on. And since then, it's its become a true news outlet. And they are disrupting a lot. So they have multiple podcasts now. They've got a video presence. They've got a like a real authentic newsroom. And what I dig about this is that Sirota is the type of journalist who is enough part of the Washington establishment. I don't mean he's an establishment player. I mean, he really has done so much credible on the ground work in D.C. for so long that he can't be ignored. This isn't clickbaity like the Hill. It's not... True establishment like the Washington Post or owned by a billionaire. So, this is all crowdfunded. This is all, you know, five and $10 donations to get their newsroom up and running. And they're really doing some impressive hard news. So, they're holding public figures to account in a very different way. So, outlets that are 10 times the size, but not in the Beltway and not part of the core Washington establishment might have one-and-done stories where Sirota just doesn't go away, and he gets interviewed on multiple outlets because a lot of people respect him, and he has this kind of strange amplification to his voice now and to the work that they're doing that is moving the needle. So as a result of what we're seeing on Lever News, the Department of Transportation is beginning to finally take action. I don't think that happens. Now, they're patting themselves on the back a little too much for my taste, but I don't think that happens without Sirota doing the the, the real legwork to put two and two together to say, no, this is a Biden problem, more a Trump problem started as an Obama problem. But let's really go back and look at the failings of multiple administrations not to.
0: This is the civil wars problem. This
1: is this is I don't know
0: if anyone's ever said it, but it was a problematic war.
1: I hang this on Rutherford B. Hayes. Yeah. Yes. So Really interesting stuff. I encourage everyone. we're going to drop a link in show notes. I encourage everybody, if you're interested in the story, if you really want to get what's happening on the ground and understand where the failings were in Washington, uh, you'll go to levernews.com and and get the whole picture. Now, the other one, maybe unfuckers are kind of aware of, and maybe it's just in the periphery. It is not being brought up in the mainstream news kind of at all. You'll see it on Democracy Now!, You will see it in some of the non-White House briefings. So there there are briefings that are covering this in the security apparatus. And there's a couple of stories that are out there that have kind of alluded to the fact that Seymour Hirsch has published a massive, massive new piece on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. If you are not familiar with Nord Stream 2, Nord Stream 2 is is an underwater natural gas pipeline that was touted to be kind of the salvation for Europe with natural gas coming from Russia. Nord Stream 1 is a pipeline. It's been around, but it's it's very outdated. Nord Stream 2 coming online was super, super big news. This is prior to the uh, invasion of Ukraine, but post-Crimea, I believe. Don't quote me on that. What was massively important to the Russians is that this is where that part of Europe gets their cheap energy from, So cheap, in fact, that Germany was able to sell excess supply from Nord Stream to a market and still have enough margin to make money on it. That's how cheap the natural gas was coming out of Russia. The pipeline explodes. Now, some of this is like incredibly circumstantial. And then also you have some statements from this administration that kind of back it up almost as if you wouldn't need a source to do any of this but Hirsch is claiming that he has one central source so much of the criticism for this piece just FYI and it is on his sub stack and we'll talk just for a minute about Seymour Hirsch in a minute but this was published on his sub stack and has one primary source but also has facts on the ground of timing information from the Norwegians from the Swedes from the Danes and information from the executive branch of the of uh the biden administration they were running exercises in the ocean with the norwegians which they'd never done before and they according to hirsch planted devices to blow up the pipeline during those uh during the the what did i call them
0: exercises?
1: During the exercises with the Norwegians. Now, again, we'd never done them there before, never done them with them, kind of no reason to do it, but we were doing them anyway. When Biden was abroad, when he was in Germany, and he was in a press conference with the German Chancellor, they said, well, what are you going to do to block the the Russian efforts to sell natural gas to the world? How are you going to sanction them, especially with Nord Stream 2 coming online? To which Biden responded, we'll take care of Nord Stream 2. And they said, what do you mean? He's like, we have ways to to take care of that. Norm Street, Nord Stream 2 won't be online.
0: Nord Stream.
1: Nord Stream. So he said that at a press conference, and the German reporters were, were kind of like a little incredulous, and they and they asked him again, and he was like, yeah, no, 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 we'll take care of the pipeline. <laughs> and they just sort of left it at that. It's an amazing, amazing moment. Then come back to Blinken after the pipeline explodes, which it did, and now it's offline. Releasing is one of the largest methane releases in history, by the way. It's a natural disaster, right? It's not natural. It's an environmental disaster that we caused or somebody caused. Biden said, I'm going to do it. Blinken said, after it happened, this is a great opportunity for us. In our, in our national security interest because it takes, you know, that pipeline out and makes it harder for Russia to sell their liquefied natural gas. Now, the Germans, in one of the harshest, longest, brutal winters that they've ever had, are paying like five times as much for their energy because this happened and looking at us being like, are you fucking kidding me? Seymour Hersh puts this together in a very long, comprehensive piece. It's 10,000 words. When the... When the Pentagon spokesperson was asked about it, he did not talk about any specific claims that Hirsch made. All he said was, Hirsch is basically a terrible reporter, long past his prime. He's been a joke in Washington for years. Long
0: past his prime? That's the the buzz phrase. Oh, that
1: is buzz phrase right now, yeah. He's been a joke in Washington circles for years. Uh, Just look at some of the past reporting. We discount everything that he says. Amy Goodman actually put that in front of Seymour Hersh, and he was like, okay, that's fine. I mean, they've been telling me that since I uncovered the My Lai Massacre and won a Pulitzer Prize, but that's fine, you know. So he, if you're not familiar with Seymour Hersh, he has no filter. He's also one of the most well-connected journalists, and I read his autobiography, Reporter, which I recommend to anybody that's interested in the media space in particular. But Seymour Hersh has very deep connections. One of the reasons he was criticized in D.C., is because he questioned both 9-11's official narrative and the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden. He was pretty much proven to be correct about bin Laden. And he wasn't claiming that 9-11 was an inside job. But a great reporter goes after huge stories that the establishment sells to the public aggressively and immediately, which is... Totally in alignment with the way that we were sold, what happened exactly what happened on 9 11, and also with bin Laden's capture. Now, he was proven right on bin Laden throughout. What the official narrative was, then what he reported, and then what the narrative came around to kind of being to fit the pieces together so that didn't look so far apart from Hirsch's reporting just shows you how substantial of a figure that this guy is and has always been. I mean, if not for him, we do not have any of the details. On the Lai Massacre, one of the worst offenses that American troops have ever committed abroad, right? So I trust Seymour Hirsch. I believe he has great connections. I think he's a little too flipped and a little too loose when he's in an interview format. He probably digs himself a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a hole that he has to, that he has to climb out of. But his work to me is impeccable. Whether or not you believe it or not, whether or not you want to line up with it, it's worth taking a look at the piece if this is of interest to you or foreign policy and national security is of interest to you. The bigger reason I want people to take a look at this is because it has a demonstrable impact on the course of the war in Ukraine. Another note before we get into emails and why I wanted to tie these things together. Everyone knows I'm a huge fan of Chris Hedges and I quote him all the time. Chris Hedges appeared in DC at a rage rally, Rage Against the War Machine, I think it was called, where he delivered one of his prototypical, the corporate class, the corporate oligarchy, levers of control, this is the end of empire speeches. I could give it verbatim because he's been writing in the same same way for years and years. I don't have a problem with the tenor of the speech because I think what he's been really good at is, re- is kind of deconstructing how we got to the point that Vladimir Putin could sell the war effort inside Russia because it's partial propaganda partial truths about our military buildup near Russia and kind of flouting what the what the stated rules were for inclusion in NATO etc so I think he's been on point with that to say this isn't to excuse to excuse a dictator and the actions that they've taken Because he's clearly unglued But we also have to look at what's happening on the other side Because once anything devolves into war Both sides do horrible things Our job as the as the superpower in the world Should have been to try and mitigate that At every step As loud as possible Through diplomatic channels And through sanctions and through everything So that even if economies in Russia and Ukraine were hurt And even if there was there were issues that persisted between them Our job should have been to help diplomatically prevent war in any way possible. What he's saying is, instead, not only are we, so put this in context with Seymour Hersh's piece, not only are we not doing that, sitting back and, as Blinken says, kind of looking at this opportunistically, you have a weakened Russia who's struggling to you know, stay economically viable, having to make all sorts of bad deals to export and sell off their energy, kind of depletes their military resources or, or whatever they are, strengthens our position with the European countries that are afraid that Putin would do that to them as well. And you, you just have to look at the the Nordic countries that are like, yeah, bring me into NATO. This guy's, I'm, I don't trust him at all. Puts us in in a, I guess in their minds, a more prominent Spot as the hegemonic Power that we're supposed to be By not pursuing any diplomatic Channels and then You go and blow up their pipeline That's an act of aggression that is an act Of war that we're claiming we didn't Do and then we claimed our Official sources claimed That Russia blew up their own pipeline Even though a month Later Russian crews were Out there desperately trying To repair the pipeline because it is So economically vital So when you put it all together, not only are we not pursuing diplomatic channels and trying to bring everybody in the world together to stop the bloodshed and the murder in Ukraine, we're also stoking the fire very deliberately, very openly. And according to Hirsch, Biden's doing this almost like a gaffe, almost like, yeah, blow up the pipeline. Like it was a very casual, offhanded order that... Even the Navy was surprised we were ready to do. And they circumvented channels that would have required them to openly discuss their plans to the congressional committees. Classified, but they would have to actually go to Congress and and run it by them first. This is an act of war. But they did not do it through the CIA. They did it through a military, covert military operation while they were, quote, running their exercises. The whole thing is fucking fascinating. And I think what it shows you is that we have a president who might be, as I've been building the case, one of the most progressive agenda domestic policy presidents that we've had since FDR. You don't have to like those words. You just have to look at the outcome. Bernie Sanders is even on a world tour promoting his book right now, essentially saying the same thing and saying that had we passed Build Back Better... There's no question that Joe Biden would have gone down in history as the most consequential domestic president since LBJ, period of end of story. That's Bernie's words, not mine, right? He said he's getting there to the extent that I believe it's possible for him to do that. That's pretty impressive coming from Bernie Sanders. Now go to foreign policy. This is Joe Biden from the 80s and 90s. This is classic, classic Biden with a classic worldview that's almost Kissinger-esque in the way that he's looking at the world. And it's interesting to me. And I'd love, I would I would love to get, and maybe we should call them on it. I'd love to get Derek Davison and, and Danny Bessner's take on this because it's like, there's two Joe Bidens. There's the one that never left the 80s and 90s that thinks we're still in this quasi Cold War playbook. And then there's the Joe Biden who wants him to be viewed as LBJ domestically. And it reminds me of what I heard. I think it was, on Intercepted podcast, maybe I think it was at the very beginning of Biden's term. And I think I've mentioned it before here, where he said all of the things that they've ever read from Biden, all of the bills that he's passed, that he's sponsored and all of his public statements, they looked at him over his like 50 year career. And what they determined was if you are this guy's friend, he's probably the best friend in the world. But if you are from another country and not white, he probably doesn't give a shit about you. In fact, he probably hates you in some weird way. And it's so interesting to see that played out through this foreign policy lens because you have such a bifurcated view of of what this guy's policy is. So those are the two articles I'd love everybody to read because I think it, it helps us really tie together a tale of two Bidens There's this one domestically that's trying to establish himself in history, but there are some legacy issues that he's got, like with this train derailment thing and the fact that his, his, you know, whoever Buttigieg is to him, his little protege is just not stepping up to the moment to like enforce regulations against big corporations. You've got that little, you know, kind of issue. And then you've got foreign policy Biden, who is definitely reasserting us as Hegemonic in a way that Trump did not, or maybe he was tearing down, but also maybe a little anachronistic, maybe a little too old-timey for what the world commands today. There you go. That's cool. headlines. Yeah.
0: Looks like the world's on a great track.
1: It's on an interesting one. It's on an interesting one. Living this Biden administration in real time is just—it's fucking fascinating to me.
0: Well, doesn't it seem like he specifically only hates non-white people, because people in Russia and Germany are white.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't care about the, the Germans for sure in in this whole chess game that he's playing. The non-white thing, I think, came from his approach to uh, the Middle East. To China. Oh, I'm not
0: saying he likes non-white people. I'm just saying it's not exclusive. It's I think, not
1: exclusive. Yeah. I think
0: it's non-American.
1: Well, it's, it's non-white <laughs> and then also Cold War mentality. So mm. it's like Russians bad all the time. And they are. They are.
0: Not the people.
1: Government. Yes. Evil government. Very bad. We kind of had a role in that during the Reagan administration. Just saying. But yeah, evil government. That's a piece of what we're going to talk about in part three with Carter. What could have been with our relationship through Glass and Austin? But we had the wrong people at the helm. Anyway, that's all good stuff. So with that out of the way, let's get into emails. We've got some very specific feedback this week. And uh, 99, why don't you kick us off by telling us what Stephen Jay had to say?
0: Yeah, so Stephen said, It has been interesting learning more about Jimmy Carter. I was born in 89, so I'll admit I didn't have much knowledge of Carter as president, except what I'd heard anecdotally growing up in North Carolina, which none of it was very nice. With Carter now in hospice care, I do think it's a very interesting time to reflect on what legacy he has had and what his presidency meant to the country. I often get tired of people that express the idea that the only good thing about Carter is he led to Reagan.
1: Thank you, Stephen Jay. Thanks for the feedback. I appreciate that. Yeah, 89, I was just finishing up high school. So that's humbling. <laughs> old. Uh-huh. You heard the people on the YouTubes who said, Oh yeah, you're not that old. Ha <laughs> ha. Cut me open, count yeah, the ranks. That old. <laughs> not that old. Yeah, anecdotally growing up in North Carolina. He lost North Carolina bad, which doesn't surprise me at all. None of it very nice, and Jimmy is in hospice care now, which is is so sad. The fact that he led to Reagan. One of the things I'm trying to figure out as I put as I put the finishing touches on part 3 is whether leading to Reagan was inevitable. Cuz to hear Carter tell it in interviews since he believes that it was purely the Iran hostage negotiation that cost him the second term. I, I don't <laughs> I don't think that was the case. I think that that was a significant part of it, but as we'll go through in part three, I, th- I think that the, I kind of think that the table was already set and the country was just in such a funk. There's no question that the economic circumstances around it, but I feel like the 70s just w- had a massive identity crisis. Like when you look back at all the entertainment back then, even from a a pop culture standpoint, this is the very beginning of like reality in movies, like harsh reality, underbelly. So you've got like Mean Streets and Serpico and everything is about like corruption. You got Taxi Driver, like these young directors reflecting society back to us. You've got the exploitation era. Like these, all I can say is like, it's very gritty. Right. So the 60s is now in this sort of haze of like, hey, man, we're all going to go down and protest uh, and we're going to get the end of uh, the, the Vietnam War or whatever. And then 70s came in. It was like just gas guzzling, belching cars. Everything was dirty. Inflation was high. Nothing was good looking. People were just like, I don't know, it was just ugh, gritty. Like, isn't that the, the what's in your mind's eye when you think 70s other than it was the best decade for music? Fight me.
0: I was gonna say I was gonna say, I wasn't there, so.
1: No, I mean in your mind's eye, right? Like when it, when somebody says '70s' to you, like what do you think the what do you think the American culture was like in the '70s? Like where does your mind go? Because I have a very deliberate picture painted, and it's not pretty.
0: Um, probably still like end of hippie movement. I'm still like because it was still happening in the
1: '70s. Oh yeah,
0: you know through the. Sort of into the 80s. I mean, if you like the dead, it never died. So, I think that's that's where I go. I know obviously it's not perfect, but yeah.
1: So unfuckers, let us know your your generation, your age, ASL range. What's that? <laughs> that
0: one's that one's for the unfuckers.
1: <laughs> for the young fuckers.
0: Just, I mean, there are probably older people who know what it means.
1: What's ASL?
0: Age, sex, location. Oh. But it's like a thing. It's a thing.
1: Well, you don't have to reveal any of that stuff. I you'd mean, be
0: like, you know, talking to someone. It, talk to like a stranger in a chat room and you'd be like, ASL. Really? Yeah.
1: You in chat rooms a lot, 99?
0: It's not like a modern thing. It's like a, like probably starting. You're on in, AOL? Yeah, probably like an AOL public chat rooms and then to like chat roulette and Omegle. Who? It You basically log Omegle? on. Omegle? Yeah. You log on to a website. Yeah. And it you with someone else in the world who's on the video chat website at the video? same time. Yeah. So you video chat with like strangers. So it would be like fun if you were at a sleepover. Or, like you'd go on Omegle and like, you know, there'd be like a group of boys somewhere. And we'd always use fake names. And, but they can see you. Yeah, you, you can see each
1: other. This has to be a groomer central.
0: Um, this has to be
1: pedophiles. Like,
0: I feel like it's probably harder to be a pedophile when you can see them. Like if a child sees an adult unless they're mutually looking for that which I don't think happens
1: oh my god are you still spending time in these rooms
0: 99
1: no <laughs> All right, we'll talk off mic very concerned <laughs> alright well without revealing your ASL or maybe I guess revealing it let us know what your impression is of the 1970s and I'd love to see it from generation to generation now getting into some general feedback union fucker has suggested The Reckoning by Mary Trump. Oh my God, love this book. Loved hearing your passion about the WSJ podcast. I was driving to work and clicked on it and was like, Max will lose his ever fucking mind. Fuck Milton Friedman. The Kool-Aid is strong. That's last week. What's that? Yeah.
0: When you yelled about the the worker's piece of the pie. Yeah. I'm I'm jogging your memory.
1: Mm -hmm. What was the Wall Street Journal podcast? Or he was just listening to.
0: No, that was the podcast. He sent us the link.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've lost my ever fucking mind. Yeah. Possible. It's possible. It's possible. I'm in the middle of losing it right now, but uh, we're still retaining a bunch of information, thankfully. All right. So uh, moving on, we've got Knudsen.
0: You can read this one.
1: Why? Oh, okay. It's about you. Is Nikki Haley an unfucker and a fan of 99? her suggestion of testing the cognition of old white men, you know, the typical presidential candidate demographic makes me wonder. Hmm. Wait, we haven't heard or yet seen 99 in a while. Um... Do we have some weird sort of Manchurian producer or Bass-Ackward-Santosian thing happening before our eyes and ears? This may need the Robert McDermott treatment. Dun-dun-dun. She's here. Right next to me. She's live in a person. She is not artificial intelligence. She is... Not ChatGPT. She's a real person. Thinking, feeling, laughing, loving, wondering, all the things. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, he's not accusing me of being AI. He's accusing me of being Nikki Haley. Maybe. Which I can neither confirm nor deny.
1: No. No. And it would be bad for our brand. If I I was? If everybody knew you were... I guess that's an admission right there. Mm-hmm. Well, that cat's out of the bag.
0: Yeah, I'm. I am this woman.
1: Um, every woman. Are you? I'm not.
0: When you said Biden was abroad, I laughed to myself. Because <laughs> I'm twelve, and I said, "Was he?"
1: People want to see ninety-nine, and it's not going to happen. You're going to see pieces of her.
0: The fuck does that mean? I'll get, Are you uh, to dismember her? Hack her
1: up and show her on film. Christ. No, you'll catch glimpses. Sure, you're not going to get the full treatment.
0: I told you I will wear a mask.
1: No 99 for you.
0: I'm scared. <laughs> okay, well, on Facebook, Ernie said thanks for all the hard work uh, you put into the Carter episode, and just in time, it's rare to see so much civic duty and passion for one's nation, or at least the one Thomas Paine birthed.
1: Indeed. Indeed. Thank you, Aaron. And on Instagram, JJ Mildew said, an excellent examination of President Carter. I'm looking forward to part three. Just saw he'd entered hospice. I would encourage anyone to read Carter's Law Day speech from May of 1974. Not familiar with it, so I will look that up before I put the finishing touches on. Thank you.
0: And then re-YouTube, this is an email from Peace Library, who said, enjoying the videos, surprised to see how fast you guys are churning them out doing my part to get you to the next step on YouTube. I'm curious where the overlays came from in the is neoliberalism dead video when Max was quoting Orwell. Mind filling us in?
1: Yeah, uh, it is a subscription to a stock <laughs> video service. There you go. Um,
0: For the record, I'm not doing those.
1: <laughs> no, if, if 99 was doing them, they'd be good. <laughs>
0: I'm getting increasingly impressed with your with your thumbnails though. Thank you. Yeah.
1: I appreciate that.
0: I think we could we could probably do like a, a, a bit of a lesson one day when you have time, you know. With That'd some, be great. Yeah. Yeah. But um I think they're I think they look pretty good for you doing them, if I'm being honest. I've All seen right. some of your drawings in the past, so you should have seen his you No, know, well,
1: I'm not hand sketching them. <laughs> you mean some of my PowerPoints? I'm the PowerPoint master, everybody yes. should know that.
0: Your UNF care PPT. logo mock-up. <laughs> Not very good. No, uh, it was fine. It was. Uh, it was great.
1: Wasn't it close to how it wound up? It was like almost identical, right?
0: Um, in that you wanted an asterisk in it, and it had the words, <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so you wrote out the title,
1: right? And, and we. Isn't bro- that design? Sure. Isn't that graphic design? I
0: think that's more writing.
1: All I'm focused on is not being blurry. <laughs> Which is, well, someone else yelled at you about your frame rate, so. I know. Well, I figured some new stuff out, and the frame rate should be better. Okay. Um, but it is not. It is not a thousand percent. So what I'm doing is I, I am committing to learning one new editing thing a week. Nice. So by the end of a year, I'll know 52 tricks.
0: <laughs> I think that it's important for people to know, like we could easily fix these problems, but you want to learn them yourself.
1: I have to learn them.
0: So it's not like we're, it's not like as a a trio or a group, whatever. It's not like we're incapable of producing a clean video. It's that Max is on a learning journey and we should all respect that and applaud him.
1: Thank you. Thank you. The goal is to be fast and self-sufficient so that we can get into new areas, uh, I can't always rely on the very very busy crew that I have. We do a lot of different work, so that's really the behind the scenes thing: is we have jobs <laughs> that aren't this because we don't have enough memberships. How's that for guilt?
0: Yeah, it's true. Right? I used to I used to edit videos for people all the time, so I could do this.
1: Oh, you went to school for this? Sorta. Of. Yeah. No, ninety nine could do this in her sleep. Ninety part of the problem is ninety nine can do a thousand things in her sleep, uh, but then she wouldn't sleep, and then nothing would get done. Get that? So uh, we gotta be we gotta be fast. Plus, I've had a fear of video, quite literally my entire career, and I decided to get over it because it's it's it, it's I, I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't know. I I could be onto something. I could be onto a little trend. These talkies—they're not anywhere. going away. <laughs> Yeah, so I got that from a uh, just a, a basic package, so that's where that came from. Peace slip. Now, in terms of donations, get this, Eric R is now a member. So let's just talk about Eric R for a second.
0: What a great, what a great person!
1: Unbelievable, right?
0: Stand up, stand up, pal.
1: Not only a stand up pal, but a standout in that he was the only new member. Yeah. So we are dying on the vine here, people. I'm just gonna put that out there. We're dying on the vine
0: Give us money
1: <laughs> We don't It doesn't only have to be kidding. memberships Everybody stood up and and stepped up With the subscriber request on YouTube And I'm, I'll be eternally grateful for that Everyone's still here with us Plowing through show notes Listening to the show Giving us comments Joining up You can only do so much Remember what I do ask of the coffee drinkers though That if you are a coffee drinker and you would, And you like good coffee you know, just a drive-by Seven Eleven, whatever kind of coffee drinker, or, or I'll get, you know, I'll, I'll just pour this from the, the a dirty container in the gas station kind of coffee person. Wow! But you really like coffee. All we ask.
0: We're not shaming your level, okay? I want to make that clear.
1: No, if you drink coffee and you drink premium coffee. Well, we
0: want to convert spend it here. Why don't we convert the gas station people instead of shaming them?
1: No, say i uh, I, I will. You called
0: it a dirty pot.
1: Yeah, gas station pots are dirty. I know, but... I drink out of them all the time. Okay. I don't care. Fine. I don't care. I drink so much coffee. I I will get it where I have to. I prefer to drink this fair trade, organic, shade-grown, bird-friendly, native roasted coffee in partnership with the native coffee traders on Poospatuck Reservation because you can get Unfuck Your Morning, Unfuck Your Afternoon, Mellow Maynard, my personal favorite. I think it's yours as well. Mm -hmm. And Decaffeinated Unfucking, you can get a sampler of all kinds of them. You can just get the full caffeinated sampler that has all three of them in there. If you are a coffee drinker and you like premium blends and you want to support economic development in an indigenous community and this show that you love just buy that fucking coffee that's all i'm saying just buy the coffee right i mean i'm not i'm not pushing it down everybody's throat. i'm not leading with it i'm not putting the 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 you know coffee break in every single episode because sometimes i don't want to disrupt it and i just want to let it go especially when i'm treating something sensitively like the carter show i'm not you know finishing every single video with it i'm not sitting here hawking things with a coffee mug and a, and a bag and every single thing that we do but you know at some point man you know if you drink premium coffee this got to be your blend this is it this is the one There's no other coffee out there. In fact, I'm thinking that we're the only coffee that you can and should buy. If you don't, if you drink premium coffee and you don't buy this coffee, stop drinking coffee. Just stop. Just don't even have it. You know what I mean? Just have to have have something. Try tea. Try tea, huh? Right? But you have an energy drink. No. The answer is right in front of you. Sometimes it's that simple. You like premium blends? Drink the unfucking blends. That's it. You know we got the trademark.
0: Wow. Isn't that fun? That's great. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me?
1: We just got it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool.
1: So you know what, man? Eric R., we see you. You see us, we see you. Thank you for becoming a member. And to everybody that's already a member who's stuck with us for the for over two years now, God bless. Do we have any reviews?
0: We do, from Dr. R., who loves both formats. This is exactly what the progressive movement needs to educate the population to what progressivism is and what it ain't, i.e. wokeness and CRT. The right has been able to steal and control the narrative with the help to a large degree from mainstream media. A platform like UNFTR could help to turn this around. My only reservation is whether Max is real or an AI bot. If real, at some point, he should disclose his identity.
1: I'm real, and sure, at some point. But for now, I'm just Max. But I am real.
0: I don't want you to disclose your identity.
1: I'm not an AI bot. So
0: if they know who you are, they know who I am.
1: Then that's why we are where we are. Somebody noticed something that I noticed and I didn't think anybody else would notice. But on the UNFTR sign that's behind me in the videos, which is an original handcrafted sign that we had made. And I love it. You can see a pixel that makes people think that this is a backdrop. But this is the actual room that we're recording and we're in it right now. We're looking at it. But a pixel shows up, and I have to show it to you later, see if you can figure it out, in the same spot on the UNFTR sign, which makes it look like it's the back, it's like a green screen, hmm. and I'm using whatever this, yeah. as if I wouldn't come up with a better backdrop than <laughs> a green screen. But anyway, but you know what I mean? Like That's strange. It's a pixel, that it shows up on the W of the URL on the sign. Very, hmm. very weird. So you have to look at that and tell me what the hell that is okay all right yeah so by the way everybody on the youtubes right now if you haven't seen it here's what you are missing out on we just finished something it's a brand new series that we kicked off called dumb right-wing tropes the first episode is inner city so we go through 10-minute explanation that uh, harkens back, it kind of mixes up a couple of old episodes that we have and into a tighter little narrative to talk about the origin of the term inner city and how it was used as part of the Southern strategy to imply hot, sweaty, overcrowded, poverty-stricken cities filled with black and brown people. And that's literally what they want you to think of whenever they utter the term inner city. Very deliberate. We actually quote David Sirota in that piece, ironically. Uh, We also just finished up our series on neoliberalism. Down the road, we'll probably add to it, but this is seven installments, basically from cradle to what we hope is the grave of neoliberalism, explaining it every step of the way, so, uh, and a lot of people gave some feedback on that series and I really appreciate it. We've got one coming out uh, very shortly on this whole balloon fiasco, so stay tuned for that. And we have some recollections that didn't make it over to the pod, but I thought it was, uh, was pretty good for uh, just the, uh, the video format on the State of the Union, Bernie versus Biden. So that's what's been happening over there. Remember to check it out, subscribe, and then put it on in the background. And play it on repeat so we can get enough hours to get into the creator community. <laughs> How about that? 99, that's all I got for this week. You got anything else?
0: Nope. I think that's it. Good to go? Yeah.
1: We'll see you this weekend on Fuckers with part three of James Earl Carter.
0: Part three. With a C. Part three. Cart three. Cart. Sure. His name's Carter. Three. It's the three 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 Bye. Three. Bye.